General Vagon has called the Battle of France is over. The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast, a podcast covering Blood Red Skies, a game of World War II aerial combat. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Lead Pursuit Podcast. Tonight, we've got Brett and we've got Kevin from Miscellaneous Miniatures. We had such a great time with him last week. We decided to bring him back on the show. Doug is still over in Malaysia, so um, he'll be back with us shortly. But tonight, since it's the miniatures, you know, guys who, who are the heavy painters and Kevin from Miscellaneous Miniatures, who is both a heavy painter and a wonderful decal maker, we decided we, we'd get knee deep in a hobby sewed. So that's what we're going to go into, and welcome aboard, guys. Howdy. Hey, Chris. Kevin. All righty. Well, well, we'll get right down to it. I mean, what we wanted to go through tonight um, is, is first thing we want to dig into is, is Kevin's tutorials. And Kevin, where do you got your tutorials posted at for the audience? Right now, they're on the uh, miniatures page. It uh, goes by the miniaturespage.com or also just TMP. Okay, guys, definitely go check those out. They, they he has got some amazing stuff up there for painting just about anything, painting aircraft, and um, we're going to get links some of them up on the Lead Pursuit podcast site this week. So, which one do you want to go through first, Kevin? Uh, I guess we could go through the uh, the resin one. The first one I put up there uh, it was probably twelve years ago. It was a one one hundred scale I sixteen from uh, first armaments and miniature. That tutorial pretty much covers soups to nut soup to nuts on uh, how I worked with the resin model, cleaning it up, filling the very few little uh, defects in it, uh, priming it, painting, putting decals on it. Yeah, that was a really great tutorial. I mean, I've been working with resin for years, but I went back through it and it was like, it was refreshing stuff for me. Resin can be a challenge, but I, for one, find it really rewarding over other, other types of models. One, just the ability to warm it up quickly bend it into any position you want is just something that that makes it such a dream to work with and one of the things that's a big challenge i was glad you covered in the tutorial was just cleaning resin so what process do you use for cleaning resin for uh, cleaning it normally what i'll do is uh straight out of the bag or something i will uh, scrape off the seam lines and once the seam lines are done i'll, I'll put it in some uh, warm water with dish soap like dawn detergent something like that just to get the uh, the mold release off. Then I'll go back and do the, the I guess, the fine cleanup, either sanding off uh, little blemishes, filling holes, and then back into the bath again before I prime it. Yeah, that type of stuff so common with resin, the little, the little bubbles from the casting process. Actually, I've been amazed at AIM stuff because, I mean, I, I get stuff from, from Forge World all the time and not the Badmouth GW, but they've got about the worst casters in the business. And um, I can tell you that, you know, Dave's a mom and pop operation and I have yet to get a bad cast from him. And I, and I know it's because he personally is taking care of everything and he's, his, his quality control is just, just above reproach. And it, it, it's nice not to have to do that level of cleanup. And I found that he doesn't have a whole lot of mold release to begin with on his models. It seems like they're, they're pretty clean when they come. I mean, you do need to clean them, but. Right. And that, that's one of the things I noticed about Dave's stuff as well is it's uh... And I think he uses a low pressure system where he kind of sucks the air out of it. Whereas uh, 
like you said, Forge World and some of the other companies, you'll find one side has a lot of air bubbles on it. They all rose to the surface. Yeah, it's, it's something I've never understood considering the premium price that they, they charge for their miniatures that, that we have so many flaws in the casting process. Um, like I said, Dave's just doing a bang-up job. Yep. The other thing I like to do with resin is to wet sand it. You take it over to the sink with some fine grit paper and uh, you know run the water while I'm sanding it to keep all the dust flying all over. Yeah, because resin, I, I, it's not as big a problem with the airplane models because they're so tiny. But yeah, I, I know working on large resin tanks and when you're grinding down a lot of the gates that you have on larger stuff, it's a really, really big deal. That stuff's not a good thing to breathe. So yeah, wet sanding is definitely the way to go when you're cleaning it up. On the on the wet sanding track, I know we've been talking about flurry washes a little bit. And when I ordered my flurry washes from High Altitude Miniatures, um, I also picked up, Flory also makes sanding um, discs, sanding, they're like tongue depressors, that kind of shape. I mean, you see them in a lot of different model lines, but Flory makes a whole set of them and you can get them from, from high altitude. And it's basically like every type and grit that they make of it. It's like a $12 pack and it's about three times what you get when you order um, sanding stuff for most people. And they work really well for um, wet sanding also. So that's something if you guys, if you're looking for good sand sanding stuff, that's definitely a route to, to look at. Actually call that, that kit the uh, their starter pack, right? It's got a little bit of everything in it. Exactly. It's it's basically like everything that they make in one little pack. And I'll just keep buying that because it, it gives you a wide variety of every grit that they've gotten in a in a couple different thicknesses. And because the, the thin ones are so nice for getting down in those aircraft seams, and especially on those belly lines where you, you, you can't get a tongue depressor. So having something that's like, you know, a little bit over a, or a little bit under a quarter inch wide is just perfect for getting in there grab that too with the intent of trying them all out and you know i can always that site at high altitude hobbies they sell all the stuff individually too so if you find a particular bit that you like they've got you could just buy a whole bag of those too so it's a looks like a pretty good kit i've yet to put it i'd already prepped my 109s i'm working on but when this next batch comes i'll be busting those out yeah i did it with my spitfires this morning and i did it with um uh dave's p40s the other day and they were like i said they were some of the best sanders i've ever worked with a lot of the sanders if you if you get them wet they've got a cardboard kind of material holding the um sandpaper on and that stuff deteriorates really quick but the flurry ones seem to have more of a sponge consistency to them and they they seem to handle the water a lot better i, I don't know if they were designed for for wet sanding but it seems like they were they were better designed for wet sanding so what are you using um kevin when you're doing your sanding what product? uh Either the real fine sandpaper from place like Home Depot or sanding sticks that I picked up from Squadron. Yeah, Squadron but, Shops where I get a lot of my stuff too. Yeah, I'll have to check the uh, the high altitude. Yeah, that high altitude shop, we were, we didn't know anything about them. And um, when we had John Russell on from Warlord, he he threw the flurry wash out there. And I think me and Doug went that week and ordered it. <laughs> and, and I'm a true believer in it. Like I said, there's a couple of applications it doesn't work great for. But, you know, personally, I was doing Spitfires today and those Spitfire panel lines from uh, Warlord aren't real deep. It took to those panel lines just just perfect. It just it's just so easy to get good panel lines on a model with it. Yeah. One of the other you, th- I was going to ask you, how'd you use it? Do you use it like a pin wash this time or do you just do it kind of all over? No, and I, wipe I, it off? I, you know, and, and there was a big difference in there. And the difference that I noticed was if you use the future which i've used future forever because it's such a bulletproof acrylic you know gloss it doesn't like that gloss as much 
when I use the AK interactive gloss, which is, you know, it, it's a little bit more of an expensive product, but it still comes in a big bottle. It just, it does perfect. And I think it's just, there's something about the, um, the finish layer that you get on the gloss from AK. It's just smoother. I mean, it, while it is gloss when you, you know, you're using the future, the AK stuff is just like, it's just crazy smooth. It's like um, my favorite in it. Oh yeah, it is. I mean, I, I, I told you about the, the ultra mat from them. But I had never used any of their other stuff because the Ultra Matte was the only thing that they had recommended in some of the airbrush courses I had taken. But as soon as I saw you had the full set and I was down there for that visit a couple weeks ago, I tried a couple drops of it. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm buying some of this stuff. And like I said, when I tried that with the Flory Wash, it made the Flory Wash process just super easy. All I'm doing is brushing it on, hitting it with a hairdryer and then cleaning it up with a moist Q-tip. But anyway, we, we just we just got off track. Yeah, the other thing uh, that I used like to use uh, as far as cleaning up with like sanding is the uh, green scouring pads. Oh yeah. And uh, use those around the uh, wing roots. Oh, that makes sense. I, I, I use those a lot for doing weathering when I'm actually, you know, dabbing weathering on tanks and stuff. I've never tried them for cleaning stuff. So, yeah. but I'm definitely going to give the green scratch pad a try. Cause I've got those laying around from painting. I just never tried them for cleaning. Yeah. The, uh, I, going on through the tutorials one of the other ones i've got up there is uh cleaning paint off of resin models with metal miniatures i used to just take and put them in a jar and soak them in acetone you know come back later and just kind of brush off the paint you can't do that with the plastic or the resin models because it'll eat it so i use a uh, simple green just put that in a ziploc bag or a or jar or something like that and throw the model in there and let it sit for a while and by a while it might be a couple of days then uh scrape off the paint yeah i've been using purple power on doug's recommendation i used simple green years ago with some forge world models but you know it, it, it they're just degreasers but they yeah that is the best process for getting it off and there too i find that that fingernail brush really brushes down in like things like panel lines and strips everything up yeah. so after a two or three day soak in the purple power the the you know the simple green it, it, that stuff comes off really easy so don't be afraid to if you screw something up throw it in the degreaser and start over. Just take Kevin's advice and don't use the acetone on your plastic. Or (laughs) You can only do that one time. After that, the plane's no good. (laughs) Yeah, I I found out that back uh, in my late teens, I was using testers and Pactor paints. I don't think Pactor's around anymore. And uh, I found acetone. Oh, this is great for thinning and cleaning up. And I thinned the testers in the glass bottle. That's not a problem. I put some in the the Pactor bottle, which was plastic. (laughs) And came back, and the bottle was kind of saggy. I've done almost the same thing. When I used to paint uh, Raw Partha Dungeons and Dragons miniatures back in the day, um, I made the mistake of um, having, I took a styrofoam cup and I poured acetone in it as a teenager. Oh, no. <laughs> I made a big mess on the desk. <laughs> hey, Kevin, you were um, talking earlier about, uh, you had some insights or thoughts about 3D models. And since we're talking about acetone and, and model prep i think i've heard of some techniques for uh getting the print yeah, lines I, and stuff off with acetone gas yeah with the uh, vapor well yeah acetone of course you got to use a well ventilated area but with the 3d printed models most of my experience has been with models from they're produced by shapeway and i haven't kept up with terminology they used to have the uh, white strong flexible which fairly robust but grainy and then they had the higher grade plastics that offered more detail but were more brittle. 
and those seem to have a waxy buildup on them. I don't know, it was part of the printing process or something. And I've heard people say that they've used acetone to get rid of that buildup. I don't go with uh, pure acetone. I'll kind of dabble with fingernail polish remover, put that on a Q-tip, try and get some of that waxy buildup off with that. But so you just wipe in the model itself with a with a toned down. Yeah, solution. with with fingernail polish and a Q-tip, and just wipe it down. After, and that's after I wash it with soap and water and scrape it or sand it a bit. I saw a tutorial one time. It was for larger scale models, but you know because 3D printing is so common now, it was a pretty uh, interesting technique where they took a metal paint can. I think had some way maybe with magnets. I think they just, they used a metal paint can cause it would, you could use magnets and they took, um, I think this just simple shop towels or maybe even just paper towels and got a little acetone on those towels, used the magnets to hold the towels inside the can, then inverted the can, put the model they wanted to clean up on the lid and put the can over the lid and the vapor, the acetone vapor, was enough to take those mold lines. I've never done it myself, but I was kind of intrigued by it. And uh, it looked like a kind of thing you have to be kind of cautious about because it doesn't take long. The kind of thing that um, could get a lot of those mold lines off without even physically touching the model. I thought that was kind of interesting. And I wonder how much application it would have for our scale. I haven't, I haven't done it on any model, much less a, you know, a, an aircraft model at this point, but uh, I wonder if it would be something that ends up happening yeah, the, at some point. Yeah, the, the 3d printed, uh, 3D printing offers, you know, an abundance of models that you can't get anyplace else. But for me, they're my least favorite items to work with, whether it's because it's grainy and it's just so much fun to try and fill that. And I, I've tried uh, just kind of soaking it in super glue and sanding it after the super glue's dried. Uh, sanding sealer from the SD's Rocket Days, fill the balsa wood. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, nail salon stuff that ladies use to you know smooth their fingernails just priming it over and over and over uh scraping the the, the surface rather than sanding it i mean just just all kinds of things. they look okay uh but then if you move up to the more expensive finer detailed plastics like i said those are brittle and, and then you've got to deal with the uh that waxy buildup yeah, have you played with any of the um, stuff off the resin printers that are commercially available now, like the the photon? I am not sure. Um, I've, I've I've messed with it a little bit. Um, I was down at um, uh, Ryan Kimmel's um, Radio Freest Van guy um, at the Battle Barn, and he's got an any photon running, and he printed me out some stuff for some of my um, some weapons options that weren't available on the uh, Adeptus Titanicus models. And that stuff is absolutely amazing. I mean, it's it prints at the pixel resolution of an iPhone, basically, because the way the, the printer works is it uses basically an iPhone screen. And that is what is hardening. It's a, a UV hardenable resin, and it's doing it one pixel at a time. It takes forever to print something. You can only do really small things. But for what we're doing with one 200 scale aircraft, it's like it's the ultimate. I mean, you could probably knock out 10 aircraft in it and about... I want to say it's about six hours, but the resolution on that stuff is amazing. Oh, that sounds you know? awesome. Well, the only problem with it is it's messy. Um, you've got a tank that you're pouring liquid resin into. It hardens under UV light. So you've basically got to keep it in a dark, darker place, uh, keep it covered. And then when you're done printing, 
it takes, you know, 90% alcohol to clean all the models off and get all the residue. You got to wear gloves the whole time because the stuff will get into your pores and then harden <laughs> from when, when you go out and UV light. I mean, it is like a hazmat process to, to, to resin 3D print, but it's something I'm looking at um, getting my hands on probably around Christmas time this year and dabbling. It's just the models just look too good, especially when you're dealing with small scales like we are. So that's definitely um, something I'm going to explore more. So, yeah, I don't think I've worked with any of those. The the non-shapeways ones I've worked with have come from it. other people. They didn't say where they got them, but I know they weren't shapeways, and they they weren't high resolution like you're talking about. Yeah, when I when I get some, in fact, I'm going to uh, War Gamers Camp here in a couple weeks, and what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to get try um, to get Ryan with his any photon to print me off a couple you know, random aircraft, like, you know, a couple HU-111s. And um, what I'll do is I'll get several of them and I'll send one your way, send one Brett way and send one Doug's way just so you guys can see what the quality is that comes off of it and just mess with it. See what you think of it. Okay. I don't know if it's clear from our discussion so far, but we've all been doing a lot of hobbying and uh, that's why we're having this hobby episode. Tell us, Chris, you kind of bailed me out on some stuff. We were both painting similar aircraft and had a similar challenge with the yellow. Oh, yeah. I mean, the other day I was I was trying to do I was using the focal with uh, 190s where I was painting and I was trying to get the yellow bands around the fuselage. So I was doing a bunch of things. I was trying to wrap the wrap the masking tape around it using the, the, the you know, the, the masking tape from Tamiya, the, the stuff that's curvable. And um, I kept pulling paint up when I got it tight enough to keep the paint from running underneath the underneath the masking tape or wasn't able to get a hard line or it, it was just nothing but problems. And I was like, you know, let me just try brush painting this one time. So I got a nice straight brush and I use that uh, Adevelt Sunset, I think it's called, is the color from GW, which Berlin is one Sunset. of their, yep. yep, it's one of their base paints. So it's supposed to be more pigment heavy, but I found brushing that on. And then after you get your first coat of that on there, good. Then I grabbed the aerial, I think it's aerial yellow, and Ear. mix that. Yeah, or aerial. Mix that fifty-fifty with the Adevelt Sunset, and compared it to my, you know, my um, Vallejo Air War Color RLM 06, you know, gelb from you know Luftwaffe Color. It, it was almost the same color. I mean, it's just almost a perfect one-for-one color match when you mix those two fifty-fifty, and that it was it worked perfect. I mean, I, I really like how the focus turned out. And that's how I'm going to paint yellow from now on. I had a similar so. challenge. I was doing those. Um, I was doing some yellow on some BF 109s. It's my second. It's my second batch of 109s. And the first batch I did, I was brushing on the um, gelb from uh, Vallejo, the model air kit, and it just it sucked. I mean, every color, not just the yellow, but that first batch I did that I was brushing with those air colors were terrible. I, I mean, it, the colors look great, but I had to put on so many coats. It was just very tedious. And I wasn't ever happy with the yellow. In fact, I ended up, you know, painting over it with kind of the process you just described. So my, my second batch, I thought, oh, I'm going to do better this time. I'm going to mask and I'm going to airbrush that same airbrush paint on the way it's supposed to be used. And it'll come out smooth. It'll cover great. It'll look awesome. Well, masking sucks when you're masking the, you know, <laughs> the, uh, the tail of a one to 200 scale aircraft that not much fun there. Uh, I was not enjoying myself <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's stress. It is stress because it, it's impossible to get those lines straight, to get them in the right spot, to bend them around the freaking rudder flaps, 
it is just it's a nightmare and i was like why am i doing this to myself you know i got this yellow that's a really good yellow that i know covers on other models that i've done i mean that that ada belt sunset will damn near color black with two coats and i was like let's give this a try and, and it was so much easier because i tried you know brushing the gelb too from the air war colors and it's just it's so thin that it, once you build up enough coats of it they just don't seem to be even so you get like texture to it and it just it just doesn't work it's just not the way I, I even tried spray painting a base white down um to separate the yellow so i could use thinner coats of yellow and that that didn't work either so what is your what's been your experience kevin with painting yellow over dark colors uh pretty much the same way uh i get the same experience you guys have uh but i almost exclusively use brushes for painting so uh for for parts that'll be yellow if i'm going to use a a spray i'll put i'll spray it first and then brush around it otherwise uh if I can use a decal, I will use a yellow decal or initial coat of uh, a tan yellow or a yellow tan or a yellow brown and then paint the yellow on over it. Yeah, yeah. never paint yellow or white over black. It's never a good time if you yeah. can help it, right? No. I, I, you, we were texting back and forth because we were both coincidentally kind of working on the same project. Different aircraft, but similar challenges. And I was texting how frustrated I was doing the masking because I was like, I'm going to do better this time because I'm going to spray. And then you were telling me, man, screw the masking, do this thing I'm doing. And so I was looking at my table and I still, you know, I had maybe half or maybe more than half already masked. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try it. And it worked awesome. Then I said, you know what? I'm going to, since I have some already masked, I'm going to spray and just see, just do a comparison. Well, even spraying, uh, it, it did what I'd hoped it would do in that, the lines were all nice, which wasn't really their main reason I was spraying. I was spraying because I wanted to, to uh, I wanted to apply very smoothly and not require me to go over it m with multiple, like, you know, six coats or whatever, like I was doing before with a brush. So I sprayed it and with, with a two, maybe three thin coats with the airbrush over those areas I had masked, it looked okay. Um, and it wasn't that the finish wasn't good. I just preferred the color that the tone to me gave more contrast using the color set that you described from GW. And, you know, those are all color matched to go together. So lickety split, it was done. And I, I did not go, I actually uh, ripped all the masking off all the other models and I painted them the way we just talked about. I did the same thing with white too. I was doing some white uh, yesterday and today for my theater bands for my Malta BF 109s yep. and similar process. I, I didn't even, I wasn't even, I didn't intend to mask this one. But because uh, it's smaller area, but just a little Celestra gray as a base coat. That's a GW base coat color. Then uh, went back with some Olfen gray, which is a little lighter gray. And uh, that's the trick, I think, with white. You're not really painting with white. You're painting with grays, right? So I got lighter with that. And then um, I added, a, I, I thinned down a little Olfen gray with a drop or two of um, Aroundy white on my, uh, on my wet palette. That's an ink. For those of you guys who had, haven't used those, yep. just just to thin it down a little bit and just uh, finish those up with that. And it was probably a total of uh, maybe two thin coats of each of those colors to get it to look really nice and smooth. And uh, with a little bl brush control, no sweat. It was easy. Yeah, it's it's definitely the way I'm going to go from now on when it comes to painting. You know, definitely the yellows. Um, I, I do fall back on the airbrush a lot. And it's because I've taken so many airbrush courses. It's, it's what I like to use. 
Um, but there's definitely some applications at this scale, especially where it just it just doesn't work well. Um, now, one thing I did discover today when I was painting Spitfires, um, when I when I painted my son's Spitfires um, for his um, his box that I bought him, the starter set box, I was actually using uh, the um, uh, blue tack method where I was, you know, masking off all the painting the base color brown, masking off all the brown and then going back over the airbrush and painting green. And that worked well, but you know, when you're working with blue tech, it's hard to get, you know, not that British camouflage has to be exactly, you know, perfect at this scale, but I wanted it to look pretty good and I wasn't getting good consistency with it. So one thing that I've used in the past for other models is um, I've used a lot of uh, the Vallejo uh, masking fluid. And I was like, hey, you know, I've got this stuff. Why don't I just give it a try real quick on this at, at this scale? Because I've used it mainly on big night Titans and um, big tanks where you're masking off an entire panel um, after you've put some design on it and you, you just don't want to get overspray on it. But I found today, and I'm going to post the pictures on the website also, that I was able to paint that base coat of brown down on the Spitfires uh, using the MIG paint. And I just sit there with my, my pattern, my Spitfire pattern that I've got. I've got a nice black and white pattern of how they did camouflage. And I just basically painted on with the masking fluid, you know, everywhere that the brown was supposed to stay and then i hit it with green let it dry for about 15 minutes and and that stuff pulled right up and i had perfect british camouflage and awesome. it took me a fraction of the time that the blue tack was taking to apply and put on because it's literally you're just you're just brushing it on and you you paint it with the airbrush and you just pull it off and um, it might even work for painting yellow but you know i i've liked the brush method but you know i'm experimenting now so i may even May even give that another try and see how that works. So, have you ever used masking fluid, Kevin? I've used it before in the past for primarily uh, clear canopy things like that. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Usually yep. not not for camouflage patterns. One of the tools I do use for painting the uh, the yellow or white uh, wing tips or fuselage bands is a uh, drafting compass, and I'll you... I'll set the distance on that just so that I get the bands the same width on all the fuselages or the wingtips all have the uh, the same length of yellow from tip to, you know, whatever point on the So you just, can just go back and check and have an instant verification on your on your brushwork of, of if you're in the right spot. Well, or even before I start painting it, I'll just put the little tick marks. Oh, you scored a little bit. Oh, yes. that makes sense. Or yeah. you get the ones with the uh, pencil lead in there and do that. And then... The other thing I use that for is for uh, decals, for rondelles, to get them the same distance from, you know, the wingtip edge or a, a yeah. panel line or something like that. Well, that's smart. I've always just been kind of eyeballing, like, okay, if I, if I put this corner at the intersection of these two panel lines on every wing, then I'll be in the same place every time. But that's far more precise way you're talking about. And some of the, the models don't have panel lines. Right. Yeah, True. Hey, back to that thing with the with the uh, blue tack. I remember Doug saying he had kind of some challenges because it was a little little messy. And you mm -hmm. had said you were looking for better consistency. What you meant by that was that those are stencils that they use on the real aircraft, right, to get the camouflage pattern. So you're yeah, they to are. They, it, the they, it was basically from what my understanding of it, they were basically like large sheets of cardboard that they would lay out on the aircraft, and they were cut to a specific size, and then they would spray paint them. And uh, the one thing I'm trying to figure out, and I haven't figured out yet, and maybe Kevin might know this because you've been doing this for a lot longer than I have, 
Um, I keep finding references to A and B models with Spitfires and Hurricanes. And I've seen some things where they say things like, well, they flipped the pattern. And it was, and I'm just trying to figure out, was that like all through the war or it, you just find tiny references to it. And I haven't been able to find like a definitive source on Spitfire paint yet. Find out, you know, what I should be doing. Not that yeah, I there's the scale, but I don't remember which uh, book it is, but I've, I saw something like what you're talking about. The picture I saw almost looked like a rubber mat that had the, uh, the camouflage pattern had factory workers putting it on a wing. But yeah. the A and the B pattern was pretty much uh, a mirror image, you know, left to right. They would just flip the pattern over. The other thing they would do would be change the colors. So there was an oh, A and a, would, a B yeah. pattern, and then they would have different colors sometimes. So you'd get four variations. Yeah, that matters. I, I, that ma that makes sense. I've, I like I said, I've just been tiny, starting to dabble in RAF stuff, and my knowledge on RAF paint stuff is is pretty poor. So <laughs> I've been finding some stencils online that, you know, other people use for larger scale models. And I've just been going off them and I just keep finding these references. But that explains a lot. And so. that's, you know, during the, the research, trying to figure out the, the subject or, you know, more details about the subject. Try and find the original pictures and make sure they haven't reversed the, the photograph and then see how the patterns run, which way it is. And then if you get a couple of planes in formation, see if they're all the same or if one of them's got an A, one of them's got a B, something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. That's cool. What do you guys do for research? I saw you had a, a big drawing of that that camouflage pattern printed out on your workbench, Chris. Yeah, I like I said, I, I talked about it in an earlier episode. I've been kind of leaning heavy on some of the, the, the European uh, modeling sites that make decals for like 135 and 148. One of the things that a lot of those guys do is they they post pictures of not just their decals, but their decals basically in a black and white image laying on a on the airplane already. So it's kind of like this is how you would apply it, but what they're actually giving you is the entire way to paint the model. <laughs> so I've been finding those every, every time now when I print when I whenever I paint a model, I go out online, I find the picture of the airplane I want to paint. I print it off and I've only been doing painting patterns where I can find both a side profile and a top down view because I find that top down view is just key to finding the the right wing patterns and stuff like that. Some camouflage, it doesn't matter. You know, the Russians, you know, they, they did a lot of different things. So you can pretty much get away with anything. But with the, the RAF and the Luftwaffe, especially the Luftwaffe splinter camouflage, I mean, you, they they had very similar shapes and to make it look like it's loop wall, but it's got to, got to have the right shapes to it. Same thing with, you know, RAF. I always print out a picture of the aircraft I'm working on with a, like a color plate or whatever reference picture I have. And I'll, you know, do an eight and a half by 11 and I'll tack it up right there in front of me. So I always have something to kind of glance at. It helps me just, you know, like on my one Oh nines I'm working on right now, it helps me, I, I can glance at it and go, you know, is that, am I achieving the kind of the, the color I want? on the camouflage if it's you know some modeled pattern on the side it just you know and i don't have to go anywhere to find that picture again i've got it just pinned up right there in front of me in my workspace but i can tell you i i've been wearing out pinterest uh and my um you know my my ladies fashion and my recipes are on point but i'm also able to find tons of color plates for uh, all the aircraft i'm working on it I, i'd really recommend anybody it's you know got a mobile phone and Check it out because uh, it's a quick way to find all kinds of stuff. Then to have a place to save it, you can make, you know, 
you can make boards where you save photos in different categories. So, you know, I've got a, a board for ZG 76 or ZG 26 and all my different period photos for different parts of war for that unit are in there and I can flip through it, print from it, do other things with it. Have you guys tried that? Yeah. Pinterest is definitely not just for cake bakers. So, which is, I think of what a lot of the community believes it's for. Um, the, the one function, I mean, I'm a photographer. Uh, it's what I do on the, on the outside, you know, when I'm not modeling, it's what I'm going to school for. But, um, one of the amazing things about Pinterest too, is that once you find an image you like, there's a function in Pinterest where you can actually highlight a portion of an image, not the entire image. And it will take that portion of the image and it will actually go out and scour the web for images that match just that portion of the image. Um, that can be really, especially when you're dealing with military vehicles and stuff, that can be an absolute boon for finding amazing stuff. So it's what are kind of that? my main source? That's been sort of the main thing I've been using because I can, even if I'm say at work and I got a little downtime, I can kind of just peruse it and add things to my different boards for uh, ideas for camouflage patterns. It's been pretty cool. Yeah. What have you been using Kevin for, I mean, what's your, your go-to source for reference material? Uh, I mean, you've been at this a lot longer than us. Usually these days it's just the web and I'll do a search on the unit aircraft or the individual and see what comes up. A lot of times it'll go to Pinterest and then I, I've been doing the same thing. You know, get a couple of pictures, uh, print them out left, right, top and bottom if need be. And then uh, as I'm going along in the painting process, I like to write down what paint I used and then, you know, draw an arrow to, to this part of the pattern say the Vallejo model color, or, you know, whatever so that I have a record of it. And then I just keep a notebook of what paints I'm using on what models. Yep. Speaking of going, you know, down the, the down the labeling certain paint types, um, you talked a, a lot about last time, and we've talked in the past about some of the different paint brands we use. But one of the things that I know me and Brett have both realized is that um, not every paint company is the same. And it's there's a lot of variation between what one company will call RLM06 and another company will call RLM06. And I know that you touched a little bit on in the last podcast, you know, hey, you know, these are colorized photos and these are old photos and who really knows what it looks like, but, you know, go with something you like. But have you found any sources that you find as definitive or have you found a paint set that you tend to lean on the most for, I guess I would say, more accurate color? Or do you go more with what feels good? You know, what, I, what you think looks good? A TLAR. That looks about right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's I, awesome. I, I've got, uh, there was a, a customer that I guess really liked what I did decal-wise, and he sent me some uh, fabric from an actual plane, you know, that was shot down. It was a hurricane or something. You know, so I've, I've got some samples of actual aircraft skin Oh, but wow. He, <laughs> You've got to post this online first, man. You've got to now. You you but, can't just throw that out there to the community and, and not post pictures. They're, they're just, you know, inch by inch kind of thing. Oh, it doesn't matter. But, I mean, that is but, badass. But still, there, you know, over the years, how much has that painted, you know, when it was, you know, put on the plane in 1940, 41, 42 or whatever, set out in the sun, was driven yeah. around the sky, had uh, all kinds of petroleum products thrown all over it. and wiped down by the, the mechanics and then you know so yeah. and, and it's the, I, had and, a, I had an experience my first batch of 109s i painted with um the model air colors you know i had a you know they have their 
their kits, right? With different yeah. air colors. And, and I really like the colors. I mean, to me, the colors seem really, I wanted to call them authentic. Uh, I don't know if that I could actually say that because who knows, right? Like we said, but they look like I expected them to look. Let's put it that way. The colors, right? It, it, when I, uh, painted, painted, but the thing I was troubled by is that when I was brushing with them, it was such a, it was so tedious because like I was mentioning earlier, I had to put on so many coats and it, it just, you know, they're, they're, they're airbrush paints really. And you, and certainly you can brush with them. It just wasn't super easy. So I thought, you know what, I, I got this lick. My next batch, I'm going to find a kit uh, or at least the separate RL, RLM colors I want to use that are formulated for brush painting and uh, like Hataka Hobbies, they, they have their, their red line and their blue line. And I think it's the blue line is formulated for brush work and they have similar kit where it's, Oh, you know, early, early war Luftwaffe stuff. So I snatched that up. I thought I was all clever and everything. And I get to work on them on my second batch of one Oh nines and they do go down great. Perfect for a brush, but the colors are just different. They're just different. Um, Not a problem. Like I, I don't, I'm not, I don't look at them and go, oh man, I've ruined these models. They're just different. And the only way that would be maybe an issue is if I wasn't painting a whole batch. You know what I'm saying? So where the, the whole yeah. squadron is going to be uniform. But if you compared them to a previous squadron I've done or somehow mix those aircraft together, you'd be, you'd be able to see a subtle difference. And uh, one, of, one of the things I've noticed too is when you're dealing with this scale, and I think that's part of it for me is if you were painting a 148 or you, you know, you were painting a, a larger model and you were using some of these paints from Air War and uh, Vallejo line um, and, and the other ones that are supposed to be, you know, close to RLM, you like MIG. I think that there's a huge difference between painting a large model and painting a 1200 model, especially when it comes to contrast. Because if there's one thing I didn't like about the Folkwolf 190s I, I used, I, I used the colors from the same line that they say to, you know, that, that we're supposed to be similar and on that aircraft. And the contrast is just so close that the pattern becomes so subtle at one, 200, that it's, it's harder to see if that makes sense. So it's that almost like, I, exactly. It's almost like I, I, I wish that I'd gone with Kevin's rule and just said, screw it, stop sticking to the numbers and, and, you know, just go with something that looks more right. And I think when I do my next batch of one nineties, which will be a different squadron, it'll be a West, uh, Western Front Squadron instead of Eastern Front Squadron. That's that's definitely the route I'm going to go. And, and I have this a similar problem with the uh, World War II German bomber with the the dark green and the black green. It, you put it on and you can't tell where one ends and one begins. Yeah, and that was the exact two colors that I was having the problem with on the Folkwolves because those were the colors that they used um, on the Eastern Front a lot during the summer months. And, Same here. Um, yep. JG fifty two. That's what they used on um, on theirs on the on the Greenheart squadron and uh, no fifty four. And um, yeah, I don't want Grognard to come after me on that. But um, but yeah, the, on the Greenhearts, it was it was definitely a problem. So, but it's you know it's one of those live and learn things. The planes look good, but they just don't they don't have the pop that I want them to have. And um, I think part of that's just because the first planes I saw at one two hundred painted was your one hundred nines, Brett, and it was like. Oh man, Brett's 109s look so damn good. I want them to look that good. Those colors are beautiful. That's that's the whole reason why I like uh, you know was drawn to the Luftwaffe. It's because of those 109s. That that uh, I, I think it's gray and dark green. That 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 co- that combination is so th- that just speaks to me. Like that's that's what Luftwaffe colors are. But then you start doing other models and you realize, oh wait. Um, uh, black green and dark green go together for this aircraft and that's where we run into that problem where you know 
unless you're real close to it, you don't see where one line starts and the other, you know what I mean? It, it, where they come together, it just looks yeah. kind of real dark. Yeah, I'll be the first person to say the Luftwaffe were the most styling Air Force when it came to World War II, <laughs> without a doubt. I mean, some of their camouflage patterns are just really cool. So um, we've got some neat ones on the, the American side, but I mean, a lot of our stuff was just like, okay, like, especially, you know, on the Pacific front, it's like paint it dark blue on the top, light blue on the bottom, call it done. It's funny, now that I'm doing this Malta project, I kind of expected stuff would look a lot, you know, a lot of desert camouflage, like all the uh, Western desert and, you know, North Africa stuff looks like, like you know, I've seen in pictures, but uh, in Malta, it wasn't that way. They were mostly, um, they were flying out of, out of Sicily, I guess. And the first batch of 109s that showed up, they were, you know, straight from France and they still look like, you know, the, the patterns you see on those uh, Battle of Britain aircraft. But uh, the later 109s, the, the uh, F models, uh, they had some unique color patterns that uh, get to mess with. So I'm going to be doing some different colors. I think I'm going to do a mix. I think I'm going to do my next, my second batch of all the F models I'm going to do. I think I'm going to do two separate patterns that represent a couple different units. And some of them had, there were some, at least from the historical, you know, photos and things I could find, there were some interesting one-offs where individual pilots had some really unique uh, color patterns that you don't see anywhere else in any of the other photos. So it's kind of cool. We'll see. Yeah. It's one of the fascinating things I found about the Russian squadrons is that was one of the few things that the Russian pilots were allowed to do, they were allowed to personalize their aircraft in a lot of ways. But not only that, but squadron commanders basically had permission to basically do whatever they wanted to with their airplanes. So, which is a little bit different from the other air forces. So that's why you see such huge variations in camouflage patterns and Russian camouflage. So, like I said, it's, it's just a it's a neat thing to to mess with. What's your favorite um, air arm to paint, Kevin? You know, out of all the color palettes and and weird camouflage you know what what is what's the one that that you tend to like to paint the most uh when they're finished uh either italian or french yep i can see that so that those maki paint tops are just wicked so that that yeah. that leopard print looking just yeah with the white stripes and yeah those are those are pretty beautiful airplanes. yeah they're, they're my least favorite to paint but when they're done they're i think they're the, uh, the ones that look the best well, since we're getting into Malta and we got you here, what is your method for painting spots? I mean, because I'm about to go down that and it's something I haven't done before. And it's something you see a little bit in Japanese aircraft, too. So it's a, how do you go about it? Is it just uh, painstaking brushwork? Yeah, there's two ways. One of them is uh, in one of those tutorials, there's a, a sea dragon. where Oh, I haven't gotten I, that one yet. Yeah, it's uh, I use this, a stippling technique where I just take a a natural sponge. And I'll tear off a little bit of a sponge. And uh, I've got a lot of alligator clips that are stuck on the ends of dowels for holding models. And I'll just stick the sponge in the alligator clip and then dip that in uh, thinned out paint future and then kind of stipple the model. I, I use that a lot for the uh, fuselages of the Luftwaffe. But so you're, you're, you're mixing future into your paint mix? Yeah. I'll, okay. I'll have, a, I'll have a, a, a little puddle of future and I have a little puddle of paint and I'll dip it in there and blot it on something until I get it the way I want it and then start hitting the model with it. And then the other thing I do is a very small brush. Kind of doing tiny dots as you're going. 
I've seen somebody do that before with um, I can't remember what it was on. I, I want to say it was a they were doing battle damage and they were actually, you know, stippling in tiny little nicks and then they would go back on each of the ones that they rapidly stippled and they would they would paint highlights on them. But um, sounds like so, a similar method. So oh, I'd love okay. to see a video of you doing that. <laughs> I'll have to send you a picture of some one three hundred scale CR forty twos. Absolutely, absolutely. Because like I said, that's that's definitely something that's in my future. So um, be good doing that now with um, with Brett working on the multi campaign. Order another batch of aircraft because uh, I'm about gonna I'm about to be done with uh, this first batch of one hundred nines. I think I'm gonna do one tens next, which will be kind of fun because those are gonna be a uh, like a desert color. Yeah, I was I was doing the Snoopy dance today because I got um I got the email from Dave that my my order is on the way. So um my next batch of um LA5s and um the other aircraft that I needed to complete some of my projects. I got a some Oscars for the Japanese and um so I I, I it, it's going to be like Christmas as soon as those freaking airplanes show up. So cuz I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty done with everything I've got right now. Working on any projects right now, Kevin? And you're not doing a lot of painting, you say, except your own stuff, right? I'm finishing up uh, commissions. The the only uh, airplanes I've got right now are one three hundred scale. Tiny. Which game is that that you're doing those for? Uh, these are for somebody probably going to use them for uh, check your six. Okay, How, you know, not to not to put you on the spot and 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 ask you everything about your business, but about how much do you charge to paint like a a six squadron aircraft one two hundred scale? Uh, for the listeners, if they're looking to have somebody do that for them, <laughs> let me see if I can. I'd... You don't have to give a quote out of the oh, on the air if you don't want to. But I was just I oh, was just, I, I don't I was mind. wondering what the ballpark was. Yeah, I don't want to get it wrong. Okay, a, a one two hundred single inch fighter painted. Uh, you provide the model, I paint it ten bucks. Oh, that's not bad. I mean, this show might get you some business. <laughs> 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 I've seen a lot of people out there that are kind of like. I love playing these games, but I can't paint. I mean, maybe Doug will hire you. It's nice when Doug's not here to defend himself. He was lurking earlier, but he said he had a really bad internet connection and he took off. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, armies, tank armies, Soviet tank armies, Napoleonics. Yeah, no, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Napoleonics. I, I, I dabbled in that a little while, a long time ago, and that is just mind-numbing pain. I think I got about 10 infantry done, and I was like, no, 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 not at this scale. This is not, no, I'm, I'm not staying. Because I, I used to love Napoleonics and the history of it, but that is a level of gaming that I just, I tried to get into, but it was like, I, I don't have the patience for this. So I, I need to go with something with a larger scale. It's not nearly as detailed. So what else we got tonight? So we talked about paint variation. I think we've been through just about everything. I was wondering, you know, we had a little, uh, I was admiring your photos that you posted on our, uh, Facebook page. Oh, that's right. We're recently talk a little bit about taking the... pictures. Yeah, well, yeah, you're the and to be a photographer honest, here, I, I am. And to be honest, I haven't been using my professional photography skills a whole lot when it comes to my models. It, it's just been I've been so busy with actual photography stuff that I'm doing for for the university, and I'm actually teaching at the university a little bit now. So doing my own projects, and believe it or not, it takes a lot of time to set stuff up. But what I've been basically doing right now is I'm using a daylight balanced led light that's about two feet wide putting that over my models i painted that little background um, that i use for mine with the, with the airbrush really quick uh, doug teased me about the purples being in the sky but i was like hey dude it's dusk leave me alone 
Um, and um, and that, that's basically what I've been doing is just putting that that light directly over the top. And the key to lighting, especially aircraft, I mean, lighting any model is not getting a point light source. Um, if you're trying to light something with a light bulb, you're just trying to just point one light at it or you're using your cell phone and you're using the, the flash on the cell phone, the light on the cell phone, you're, you're going to get just an ugly direct light picture. And uh, just to give you a little bit of you know photography background, the reason why pictures don't look that good that way and the, the reason why flashes on the top of cameras don't look good is you don't walk around with the sun on your forehead. Um, and that's not how the human brain is used to looking at three dimensional objects. You're you're used to the sun being off at a different angle or you're used to um, God, you know, God providing what we call the natural softbox and, and giving you those clouds out there and diffusing all that light and giving you nice soft light that comes in from all angles and evenly lights everything. So what you want to look for when you're when you're doing your models, if you're going to do one with a cell phone, one of the things I recommend is you want your you don't want to be holding your cell phone. You want to be bracing your cell phone on something very stable. And um, because that that allows you your cell phone to take a little bit more time taking the picture because it's doing all that stuff automatically for you. Try to get yourself a one, a daylight balanced bulb. Um, if you don't learn a little bit about color temperature, because a lot of people try to take pictures with incandescent light and they're like, my pictures are really orange. And it's like, yeah, because you're using incandescent light um, and they just look ugly or they'll use um, especially some of the older fluorescents produce some really ugly green castle models. So um, if you're a painter and you're painting models, you should be using daylight balance bulbs anyway. Daylight balance bulbs burn at about 5,500 Kelvin and um, color temperature wise. And they're basically the equivalent of sunlight. Um, and they're, they're basically a balanced light. They're not too blue. They're not too, they're not too yellow. So those are the big things. But, you know, steady, good light source. And uh, the other only other things I've been doing is I've been pulling them into um, Photoshop and I've been, you know, putting some diagrams on them, pulling some some images for their their unit iconic icons and putting that on there. And if you want to do that stuff and you don't have a program like Photoshop, because it is kind of pricey now that they've gone to a, a pay system on it where you're you're paying monthly to use Photoshop and you've got your hands on PowerPoint, you can do the same exact thing in PowerPoint. Um, you can pull that image into PowerPoint. PowerPoint actually has some very limited um, picture modification where you can control your contrast a little bit. You can brighten your exposure up a little bit. There's a lot of free programs online that I'll do that for you too. I can't say enough about going online. If you really want to take good pictures of your models, don't just listen to me. Go online. There's about how to photograph your models, um, how to build light tints, how to build reflected light, what types of lights are good. But like I said, the models I've been doing right now, I've been doing it really quick. I use a daylight balanced LED bulb above it, and I'm taking it with my, my iPhone 10. That's what I've been doing. I really like your group shots too of your finished projects with the whole squadron laid out with the with the text, you know, the little text information. Yeah, and, I mean, it, it just gives a cool. lot of flair to it. It for me, you know, I'm a narrative player. Where me, you, and Doug are all players. And for me, a lot of it is not just rolling dice and painting models, but it's the story behind those airplanes. Um, I've been getting into some of these Japanese aces and you know what they went through and what what the war was like for those guys and aces that we don't have in the game yet and trying to figure out ways to bring those aces to life. I like to do squadrons that have a history to them and, you know, find those, those significant characters and all those different squadrons and figure out what airplanes were around them. Um, I'm reading the book right now on the, the American volunteer group and uh, from Osprey. And that's, it's a really short read. I recommend that to anybody that wants to do P40s 
And um, it's just fascinating. You know, it, it, the book gives you all the little things like what, how they numbered their aircraft, um, how many days they actually flew their aircraft and who was flying their aircraft and things they had to do to modify the gun sites because they weren't allowed to buy the gun sites from the American government. And it's all those little things. And you start learning these pilots names and what their numbers were. And you can find registries out there. Like I found that Corsair registry for VF-17, which it listed actually it wasn't just VF-17. It was all the Navy and Marine Corps Corsair aces and it listed their squadron and their tail number. So I basically went out and I found all the VF-17 guys and I was like, okay, I'm not going to do a squadron full of aces, but I found three of the aces, um, did it a little bit earlier war and then put, you know, Joe Bonats and, you know, some miscellaneous guys in there with tail numbers that weren't recorded as, as aces and built a squadron around that. I think if you get into that level of it, you really enjoy the hobby a lot. That's why I do it. So, and, and I, that's what I'm trying to portray in the pictures. Awesome. Pretty much set the standard for our page on the photos. Um, <laughs> now, I, I wait met... till Doug gets started, man. Doug's a professional air photographer. That's the, I mean, he's coming back from Malaysia right now and he's heading out somewhere West because he got on the fly hired to, you know, fly somewhere else and take pictures of airplanes. I, I could only hope to have a job as sexy as his when it comes to the camera, but we just got to get him taking pictures. Actually, we got to get him painting his aircraft so he'll take pictures of them. We got to get him to get home so he can do it. Oh, I know. I He's know. not getting He's any painting done where he is. So, yep, without a doubt. So, I, you know, is if we got anything else to cover tonight? Kevin, you got anything else to add, man? I do not. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Hey, Kevin, like I said, you, you are always welcome on the show when we're talking, especially when we're doing hobby sodes. And um, we, we'd love to have you back anytime. I've got some stuff I'm getting ready for you. Like I said, I just started back to school, so I haven't been had, had a whole lot of time to focus on things, but there's some Russian stuff coming your way. And um, so how's the, um, what, what are you working on right now? What are the, the projects in the hopper? Uh, the projects in the hopper, there's some for Malta, but uh, at the top are some 1-100 German Cold War and some uh, small ones, I think about 1-300 scale for an expansion of a game called, that's well, Memoir 44's expansion. Oh, very cool. Thanks for coming on, Kevin. Uh, you know, we really wanted to have you on to talk hobby once we learned about your extensive hobby background. So this is perfect. Well, thanks for having me. For all our listeners, um, go out there, dig around in Kevin's page. There's some great resources on that page. If you need, need decals, he is the man. I can, I can tell you personally, I've done three squadrons now with his decals, and I've got a bunch more of his decals waiting to go on airplanes. I can't wait to get those Normandy NEMA decals on my Yak-3s. That's the other thing that's in this package from Dave. I can't wait to get that squadron in the air. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely check him out. Check out High Altitude Hobbies. They're not one of the corporate dirtbags. That, that they, they're not throwing us any money. We're not shilling for them. They're just good guys that are offering good products out there. The, the Flory stuff is amazing. And if you're looking for something to speed your model time up, that's definitely something you need to look at. But that's all we got for Lead Pursuit. You guys have a good night. Good you night, too. guys. Good night.